Hello, everyone. Um, now, my next guest has given a TED Talk on STEM and education. He set up several organizations, including Kid Tech, Trendster Media, and the world's first digital youth council, and was named one of the top 10 outstanding young people in the world by the Junior Chamber International. With how much he has achieved, he should be near retirement, but believe it or not, this guy is only 21. While completing his scholarship degree at UCC, he continues to surpass his limits and achieve more and more. You're very welcome to the show, Harry McCann. How are you today? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, okay, so now the reason why we got you on, Harry, is because we generally talk to people from older generations, so it's going to be really refreshing to get somebody uh, from this generation. So first question, I have to start with it, Harry, is you've achieved so much at a young age. Um, what's your secret? What makes you different from o most other Irish people? Oh, what Big makes, what makes me different? Um, yeah, I don't know, really. Um, like, I suppose there's a few things that myself or traits that I have that kind of, I suppose, have allowed me to go and do what I've done. Um Look, I'm no different from anyone else. I haven't grown up in any spectacular household where, you know, we have a million bucks and I mm. grew up in some privilege. Um, I didn't grow up in a shack. By all accounts, very normal childhood, very normal uh, upbringing. I think from my point of view, I'm very determined, um, incredibly determined. I am very ambitious. Um, I, I have, I'm quite confident but I think confidence is often an illusion. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm confident, but I suppose I'm no more confident than anyone else. But I think the ambition is a big thing and drive. Um, I do always think if you're going to go do something, you might as well try to be the best at it. And I think from my point of view over the years, anything I've done, I've tried to do that. Um, I've never allowed anything to kind of get in my way. I've never allowed my age to be a barrier. I think a lot of people often do. But I can't say there's anything special, as I said. It's just a determination and drive that I have within me that kind of wants me to go and do more and wants me to try to get the best out of every possible situation. Okay. And so this drive is probably behind why you chose to go into entrepreneurship. But in Irish schools, there's a little to no emphasis on it. Do you think there should be more emphasis on entrepreneurship in schools? Yeah, look, you can't teach entrepreneurship. I suppose that's the biggest thing. You have, I see college courses on at the moment where, you know, you can do a three-year or four-year degree in entrepreneurship. And I'm going, you know, you can't teach entrepreneurship. Um, I'm not saying it's something you're born with. It's not like a natural mm. talent where, you know, you're a great footballer or a great rugby player. It's, it's not like that. But I think it's more of a just a mentality thing. And it's trying to get into that space. I think from a student's point of view, our education system itself would never fundamentally allow for entrepreneurship to be something that's going to be a part of it so what I mean is if you look at our, the Irish education system now we sit students down for six years in a classroom and we give them all this information we ask them to memorize as much of it as possible and regurgitate that over the space of two weeks at the end of that time period mm. we then rate them based on everyone else give them a point system and then we put them into college so there's no room for creativity uh, to be an individual there's no room for you to think outside the box because outside the box doesn't get you the marks in an exam yeah and all of the kind of thinking and the mental stuff around being an entrepreneurship isn't fully encouraged in schools and just wouldn't suit the system so i suppose for us to be able to teach something like that we'd have have to change the entire system which we should have done and we should do and always have recommended for but at the moment you know you require the odd it i suppose 
there's always going to be the odd person who does something different. In my case, I, I was that person. There was other yeah. people in my school who did the same thing. There's other people in schools around the country. But I can't say that was anything to do with my school um, other than the fact that they were very facilitating when I did traveling and all that kind of stuff. But the system itself would never facilitate for that. So we need a bigger change for that to happen. So sorry to push you on this now, no, Harry. No. What would be an alternative? Like, would it be continuous assessment or are you saying more like just completely independence, less children or teenagers take? for themselves no so i think it's there's a few different ways we could go about it i suppose there is the idea of continuous assessments and there is looking at other systems and other ways and encouraging students in other avenues so at the moment we do push students straight into third level Mm. you know the irish education system produces a lot of third level students when you look at every other system across the eu you know we're up there at the top in regards to how many students progress from second to third level education um i'm always a, a big advocate for further education and training i don't think everybody's suited to sit in a a lecture theater for three years i think some people need to go out and get a hands-on experience and think what we need to do is base our education system around the fact that not everybody's the same and we don't all learn the same and there's different ways of learning and there's different ways of teaching Um, and i I mentioned that when i had done the ted talk in lithuania was that you know we all learn differently in the sense that some of us like to see things some of us like to read some of us like to touch and feel and you know we all learn differently but the system needs to try and do better to facilitate that so whether it is continuous assessment whether it's product-based learning or whether it's a mix of everything in between there's there's systems out there and um, i think the best one i've seen uh, to date i was in finland a couple of years back and i went and spent a few days in schools in helsinki and the way they just embrace learning and the experience itself i've always laughed at the fact that every student in an irish classroom has a phone in their pocket yet you're not allowed to take it out because it'll be taken off you whereas if you go into school in helsinki every child has a phone in their pocket and they know that and they embrace that and they use that to allow them to go and explore the world around them mm. and that's that's the kind of space that we need to be embracing where it's product hand-on learning and it's, yeah. it's, it's just look there's there's no right solution but there's definitely a better solution than what we have at the moment First, yeah and just more individualized definitely i would agree with you yeah. um so you brought up the ted talk there i'm going to segue into that then yeah. uh you've spoken extensively about the importance of stem edu- in education uh for listeners who don't know can you firstly explain what is stem and then explain why do you think it's so important yeah, so STEM, it, firstly, the acronym is Science, Technology, Engineering, and Maths. Um, I think most people will be familiar with it now. Um, STEM is, look, it's an acronym that stands for multiple different subjects and ways of learning but i always think it's kind of a way of being in the sense that it's a way of looking at the world around us and it's a way of exploring the world around us stem plays a part in everything we do and um, the fact that we're recording this podcast at the moment you know it's it's possible because of technology and mm. um, it's possible because of engineering you know um the the importance of stem really can be <laughs> I suppose can't be overemphasized in the sense of when we look at how the world has changed in the last not even 5, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, and I mentioned this in the talk is that, you know, we went from there being a situation where Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook in his college dorm room and that was a kind of a unicorn in a sense, you know, that hadn't been done before. Whereas we now find ourselves in a situation where there's technology businesses and businesses and innovations and creative creations coming up out of the blue every single day. And my push for STEM has always been the fact that it encourages people to think differently and it encourages people to have a different outlook in the world. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not saying that our education system needs to be completely STEM focused, but what I'm saying is that if we can encourage more people to get involved in STEM and to look at STEM subjects, we change the way that we look at the world and we change the way that we actually think about problems and 
so coding, for example, is something I've always pushed usually. And people go, what's the benefit of coding? You know, other than the fact that if you don't want to be a computer developer, you don't want to be a programmer. Yeah. And I'm going, yeah, that's fine. Most people don't. And I have no interest in it myself. But from coding, you also learn to problem solve. You also learn to look at things differently and to evaluate and you know from a coding process anybody who's ever done it you sit there and, and often you make a mistake and you spend ages and ages trying to find it it could be one small error and thousands of lines of code and that doesn't just teach you how to code it teaches you how to problem solve it's looking for problems looking for issues so it's trying to rewire our brains and that's what the benefit of stem has always been for me it's not necessarily trying to push people into jobs it's trying to think in a different way and how are ireland doing in general like do you think they're still far behind like on a comparison of one to let's say silicon valley oh, in one one to silicon valley i suppose it, in recent years we've done well i think there's a huge drop away at her level when we look at like coding and look at those really hands-on stem courses um that's mainly because of the fact that people go from school into third level and there's a huge jump there and the that jump is is so big because of the fact that our education system is so far behind in my opinion anyway um I think when you look at the fact that in Ireland, the biggest technology companies in the world are based here, it's probably a huge um, credit to us in the sense of the talent that we produce. Mm. However, we can't rest on our kind of laurels. We need to make sure that we're constantly encouraging more people, I suppose, to go into education and to, to progress through that and to, to kind of create that talent that they're... Um, I know most people won't advocate for the fact that we need to be creating people to work in jobs, you know, that we can't encourage individuals to just become employees. And I'm, I'm for that and I, I fully encourage that, but it's not necessarily just to produce employees for the big techs, it's to produce people to go out and contribute actively to society generally. So there's no harm in doing it. But I think at the moment, if one to 10, 10 being Silicon Valley, I'd say we're a solid seven, maybe eight, right. maybe even higher. But long term, we're going to fall if we don't move forward. Do you not think that the issue, though, is like, let's say if somebody comes up with the next Apple, the next Amazon or whatever, that Ireland just doesn't have the capacity, like it doesn't have the population size to actually grow it? Or do you think that it's gone so globally integrated now that it is possible? Yeah, like we live in a connected world, you know. We live in a world where there's no such thing really as borders and barriers, you know, as much as some American presidents try to create them, you know. It's it's seamless now. And I think, yes, if you were to start the next big thing in Ireland, you'd probably have to leave, and many people have, you know. If you look, oh, Stripe, and uh, uh, Stripe is probably the biggest example with the Collison brothers had to leave. But I think we've changed a lot, you know. I always big advocate for the IDA. The IDA attracts huge international talent over here and huge multinationals. And Ireland is always called, you know, being home for a lot of these places. And I think it can be home for the next big tech startup, the next big startup, and plenty of them have. Um, but I just think that I suppose you can't start a big business and aim to just work in Ireland and have an Irish market. You know, there's only so many of us here. Yeah. Um, so you'd have to look global. But we could definitely be the, the home if we just need to improve our broadband a small bit. Just a <laughs> yeah. small bit. Um, and so now I'm going to jump back. You were talking about in Finland the relationship with children and their phones. So yeah. um, you've, of course, grew up in a social media literacy uh, with a social media literacy but there are many from the older generations they have very negative connotations with social media um, firstly what's your opinion on this do you think social media can be dangerous and if so what can we do to protect ourselves against it yeah, so social media, social media can be dangerous and um, there's no doubt about it um, I think the biggest danger now is if there's a generation out there that kind of 
looks to their social likes and follows and traction to kind of measure their self-worth. Um, and that's a really dangerous kind of mindset to get into. Um, I, I've been a big advocate for the advantages and the power of technology, and I still am and always will be. But I suppose it's how we kind of move to the next step and how we say, look, how is Instagram likes impacting the way young people look at themselves or feel about themselves or what way is, you know, the nasty comments that they're getting impacting their self-esteem? And it's hard to ignore the fact that I suppose in recent years, there's been a huge increase and a huge boost in mental health cases amongst young people. And while there's no scientific correlation at all, and there there isn't, and I know for a fact that there isn't, and many reports and studies will suggest that there is between technology and mental health problems. And while I can't fully say it, I, I do firmly believe that over the years, I think that a lot of people have been negatively, negatively impacted by the fact that they're a part of generation tech, which as I say, is the generation that was kind of born with technology and would die with it. But I think what we need to do there is not necessarily blame the technology, it's blame the way that we're preparing young people for the world and how we all are far too self-conscious and all far too, uh, I suppose, worried about what other people think about us. Mm. So I don't necessarily blame the technology. I blame the fact that we haven't necessarily raised a generation to live in this world yeah. properly and that we're all kind of stuck in a, in a bit of a rut that, you know, technology has yeah, negatively impacted us as a result, but it shouldn't have. Yeah, so I completely agree. So in our workshops, what we talk about is it's not social media that's the issue, it's how people use it. Mm-hmm. And particularly, it's the emotion regulation strategies behind when you get that negative comment or when you don't get that much likes, basically how to deal with that. That's not discussed in mm-hmm. schools and that's very important. Um, and so we're drifting perfectly into mental health now. So entrepreneurship is an area that can, of course, be extremely stressful. You're constantly working. Um, how do you manage your mental health while keeping up with the fast pace? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, yeah, it's look, everyone has their problems and issues. Um, nobody's perfect. Um, entrepreneurship has been highlighted in the past and there's a big startup community that will highlight the fact that, you know, people in entrepreneurship struggle with mental health issues more than most. Um, I think it's always about taking time for yourself. Um, I run four or five times a week. I swim two or three times a week. I'm constantly trying to exercise as much as I possibly can. Um, That's always great. I take time to myself. I do try to unplug at some stages. Um, I laugh. I did a a show a few years back in RT where we did a digital detox. And with RTs, we did a thing called Making Ireland Click, which was a TV show. And we went away in a digital detox, myself, my dad, and film crew, and they basically take your phone off you, they put it in a box for the weekend. You have to sit there with yourself and your thoughts and you're going, oh God. And I remember it was like day one and I had my phone out again and day two and it out again. And I was like, oh, I'm sick of this already. So the unplugging doesn't always work for me, but I think it's it's the world I live in. I suppose my work is on my phone, my social life is on my phone, everything is on my phone. So I'm, I'm like that. But I think it's just taking time. I, I've headspace on my phone, which is great. So I use that in the evening sometimes if I'm just a bit kind of stressed out and kind of overwhelmed. As I said, the exercise is really good. But it's generally just understanding that 
work is work and that's fine but I, I leave that to a side and I can go out I'm a college student I can go out on a night out and completely forget about work and that's separating yeah. who I am from what I do for a living do, do you schedule though like uh, I'm not working from this time in the evening for example or do you fall under the habit of sometimes taking out the phone and start working at maybe 9 o'clock oh like I easily some mornings kick it up so I was up at half 5 yesterday morning and I answered an email at half 5 and I went to bed last night at about half 12 and I answered an email but I didn't work from half 5 to half 12 yeah I work when I feel like I want to work and when I have some, something to do um, I always think the biggest thing for me is that you can work every single hour of the day if you're not prepared for what you need to do for the day. So I always set out myself. I use a um, scrum, bo- sport, scrum board, which I Silicon Valley um, TV show watchers will know that just yeah. assign my tasks by importance and, and when I need to do them and how I, how I need to do them. And I use that and I set a certain amount of tasks I need to do every day. I do those tasks and then I, I, I leave it for the day. But I don't work every God-given hour mm. because I don't see the benefit in it and I don't think I'd work productively. But I don't necessarily set a time, a start and a finish time. And I think that's the thing with entrepreneurship. And that's why so many people are stressed and so many people have mental health issues is that, you know, you walk into a building at nine o'clock in the morning, you leave at five o'clock and, you know, you swipe in, you swipe out and that's it. Whereas with entrepreneurship, you wake up in the morning, you open your laptop at your kitchen table and then you close it again when, you know, you're done and it's nine o'clock and, you know, you're trying to have dinner and you're trying to get stuff sorted. There's just no start and finish. And that's kind of the stressful part for some people. But Yeah, but it's more independent. Well, it's more and less independent. In yeah, look, I think there's there's quotes about it. You know, so like there's only a handful of nuts people who call themselves entrepreneurs to work ninety hours a week yeah. to try and you know make a million euros so that they can work five hours a week. You know, it's it's a bit of a mad one. You know, to to get to that successful point where everyone's trying to get to, you have to be seen to work in all these hours. Mm. But that that's a bigger problem in the sense that this is what role models are and for me like I look up to a lot of business leaders and I look at like I constantly reading articles about how you know the CEO of here there and everywhere is getting up at 4.30 in the morning and doing yoga for an hour and they're having a cold shower and going for a run and they're answering emails and then they come in at 6 o'clock but they come in at 6 o'clock from the office with a bag full of work that they need to finish before they go to bed and that's the bigger issue is that for young entrepreneurs like myself and people younger than me is that we're looking up to business leaders that have awful work-life balances yeah. and that are promoting that and actively promoting that and trying to say that you need to get up at half four in the morning because, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. Whereas that's not healthy and that's not sustainable. So I think it's often the generation after me that are the, the worst for it and that they're kind of the role models for the my generation that's kind of passing on bad work habits. Are they teaching, so you mentioned that entrepreneurship is becoming more common in colleges and stuff. Is yeah. that something they teach within these courses, this work-life balance? I, I don't know. It's like any college student will know that you're never incredibly busy all the time it's it's rare you look there's certain seasons and certain times where you're you're incredibly busy but most of the time you're not um i I think colleges are definitely more aware from a mental health perspective of you know the importance of you know taking time out and uh, taking time to yourself and that's great um i yeah i think i think they are i think everyone's becoming a little more conscious of it anyway generally the world you know um, I know since lockdown has happened a lot more businesses have given people days off here and, and there to, to help them manage that and I think the colleges have really pushed the emphasis that you know your studies can wait your mental health can't and I think that's important but 
that balance and trying to get that balance is difficult and it's it's more than just a, an email or an announcement to tell people it's 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 a bigger kind of mindset shift yeah Referring back, you mentioned earlier, you were talking slightly about uh, social media and how this generation technology. Hmm. Um, of course, your generation, um, I'm speaking like I'm old and only few years, but uh, your generation often referred to as this famous snowflake generation. Uh, do you think that's um, incorrect or how do you feel about that statement? Yeah, I have a lot of arguments about this. Um, a lot of arguments. So <laughs> I, I, I do a lot of media work I do a lot of radio work on news talking today fm and a bit with rt and a few other stations and i'm always i'm referred to as the in-house snowflake at news talk and i come in and i back young people to the hilt um i i, I don't like i don't take offense to snowflake i just think it's a bit disingenuous and i think it's a bit unfair i think Look, young people aren't... Uh, the reason there's a generation they're called young people snowflakes is because they're often afraid of the fact that young people are so in touch with their emotions and so in touch with their mental health and they're accepting of how others feel and how others act. Yeah. You know, there's still a generation that kind of question the fact that, you know, someone's sexual orientation or, you know, if they're holding hands, if two boys are holding hands walking down the road or two girls are walking walking hand in hand, you know, there's the, the marriage referendum, the abortion referendum, all these things that are really strange to one generation, but to, I suppose, our generation are okay because we're accepting. We don't really care about, you know, who you love or, or what you do. And I think that's what the snowflake thing is about, is that there's certain people that feel attacked by the fact that there's a generation that are now so accepting and they're afraid of change yeah and they're afraid of change and I think like I laugh because I spoke to somebody recently enough and they were like you know there was no mental health when I was growing up nobody had depression or anxiety you know and I go no people did have depression and anxiety they just was there was just such a stigma around it that they couldn't talk about it yeah and I, I'm like, you know, people should take pride in the fact that they're snowflakes or that they're being called snowflakes is because I think they're more well-rounded individuals um, because we accept more from people. Like, this is another laugh I get is that we're constantly complaining about things. It's like we're not really complaining about things. We're, we're fighting for what we believe in. You know, we have certain beliefs and we have certain, you know, ideas about how the world should be and that's what we're fighting for, climate change, all of these important issues, you know. And I, I just, I think it's a kind of a cop-out really from what I call the old farts in a lot of cases, you know, people who are just really stuck in their way and kind of annoyed about the fact that they can't accept things that, you know, younger people are. Um, and look, it'll, it'll move past, I think, look, there was hippie generations in the past and the people, you know, yeah. flower power and all this crack who fought against wars and in the US and everything else. And, you know, that's very much what this is now. And look, it can cost snowflakes all you want, but I don't think there's much merit behind it, really. I think it's just a cop-out. Mm. Good answer. Um, and so um, one of the final questions, um, I've been asking this to all my guests. Um, if you could educate the next generation on one thing where every, let's say, 13-year-old would get this education, what would it be? So it's a difficult question to take your time. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, oh, no, not sure I don't know. I think... It's it's a very cheesy one, but I think it's it's a certain amount of just being yourself is a, is a hugely important one. Um, it, it kind of that ties in a lot of different things for me. So I think there's, as I said, confidence is often an illusion. But I suppose from a confidence point of view, I think a lot of young people lack the self belief 
that they can go out and do what they want to do and be who they want to be and there's a certain amount of you know fear of what other people think and I think that's for me is is sad and, and worrying and I don't think uh, it's something any young person should worry about what somebody else thinks of them so I think it's it's encouraging young people to be themselves and not to care what anyone else thinks of them even in a in a time where technology and encourages us to push the best aspects of our lives and to allow other people to judge um i think the other one then is the belief that kind of everything happens for a reason is another big one i think that ties in with that as well is that encouraging young people to understand that there'll be good times and there's bad times but and it's not a religious thing it's it's not a spiritual thing it's just an understanding that you know these things happen and, and you'll get past and there's no challenges that you can't get past so i think it's a, it's a real self-belief thing for me is that kind of encouraging people to be the individuals they are and to be the person that they are and to stand by that and not to try and be a part of the crowd where it's like it's the thing where teenagers now they everyone has the same phone and everyone wears the same runners and they all wear the same clothes it's it's trying to fit in constantly constantly mm-hmm. whereas it's, if we taught people or encouraged young people to be more individual and to be more themselves and be confident in who they are then I think it would be a better place and I think it will encourage more creativity and entrepreneurship and more you know people who go out and do courageous and creative things but at the moment we're, we're kind of lacking in that but I suppose it's a roundabout way of saying to you know, encourage people to be themselves more yeah perfect answer um, I'm going to just I have one follow up yep. just came into my head uh, while you were talking there social media so Instagram recently have moved away from the like model mm. do you think that that was more of a just trying to please the crowd or do you think that there is possibility for change in social media no so I had a really interesting conversation um, one of the many hats that I wear is I'm an, uh, an online internet safety ambassador with the European Commission and as a part of that I was in Brussels a couple of months I'm going to say probably about a year ago I was in Brussels and I was at an event where I was speaking about um, safe for the internet for EU and I bumped into somebody from Instagram just about the time that, that announcement was made and we had that conversation and based on the conversation I had with that person and with other people in the technology industry I'm a firm believer that these technology businesses very much want to look after their users and very much want to look after the yeah I'm going to say the mental health of of their users I I think there's this image that we paint of all these businesses that they're bad people and they're bad businesses the end of the day these social media platforms whether they be Facebook Twitter Instagram whatever it might be are only platforms, you know, they don't create the content. We create the content and we put it out there. So if the content is harmful or offensive or it's insulting or it's rude or it's mean or it's seen as bullying, it's the fact that we've created that content. It's the user's problem. And we do put a huge emphasis on the fact that they need to take more responsibility, and they do, and I 100% agree with that. But we also need to look at ourselves and say, look, Instagram can introduce all these features that they like, and they will, and they'll encourage users to be more, I suppose, self-aware and but at the end of the day we also need to look at ourselves and say look even if Instagram put in this feature where they no longer count likes you need to be in a place where if you get five likes or 500 likes that you're happy with the fact that 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 picture makes you happy and that picture is a fair representation of who you are and that you're going to keep it up no matter what and that you don't care how many likes you get and that you hope that you get likes from the people that you you know at the closest to you but at the end of the day anyone else you know most of them are just strangers so I think yeah look 
they will emphasize that more and they will put more of a push on trying to look after their users but we need to take responsibility as well and say you know it's time to to stop asking them to fix it and try to fix how we use it and so part of that responsibility then on our part is this um, glorification of the influencer Mm -hmm. market Um, now there will be lots of arguments against the influencer market so how do you feel about it yeah, so once again, a topic I've spoken heavily on in recent weeks, months, years. Um, I did a talk one time at an influencers conference, um, and it was a thing online, and I did a Skype kind of into the event, and I remember I, I probably insulted most of the people in the room, I'd say, but I'm a firm believer that there's not that many influencers in the world, and that the real influencers I've always believed that the Kardashians Kardashians are the people who will really influence but after that you know there's your Tom, Bill, Harry, Mary whoever they are who has a couple of thousand followers here and a couple of hundred thousand followers there who will have an impact but never really influence in a sense so I think it's a dangerous space. I think there's a lot of young people now who are growing up who want to be influencers. Yeah. But there's not really a job to that. You know, posting on social media every day and getting paid to do that isn't as easy or as nice as it seems. Um, I think what would be nice to see is that young people who go out and try to impact and have a, a positive impact on the world who then grow a social audience and use that to influence people to do good rather than a generation growing up who want to look a certain way and appear a certain way to have influence. There's there's two differences. But I think what's bigger there is that if you're going to be that influencer, understanding the responsibility that you have. So during the pandemic, we look at all these people going off to Ibiza and all these other places and traveling around, not wearing masks, not doing what they should be. And what I'd say is that any of the influencers that are there or people who think that they're influencers need to understand that you have a responsibility as well, not to just brands and sponsorship deals, but to the people and mainly the young people that you have power and, you know, a say over. You need to encourage them to go and do the right things and, and leave the right mark in the world, you know, I, I don't under, I don't understand that like I, I regularly get contacted for bits and pieces to promote different products and services and I'd be very conscious of the fact that what you need to promote is something that's going to positively impact people not just watches and phones and glasses and all this kind of rubbish yeah. and a lifestyle that's just unattainable you need to promote people to do the right things I think but yeah it's, it's, a, it's a messy subject and to be honest mm. it's not going away I, I think the issue it ties in well with the point you were saying though about the importance of emphasising uh, to be yourself Yeah, I think it's camouflaged sometimes within that that people are telling themselves that they think they want to become an influencer but that's actually what society is yeah, it's, telling them I, I, I've seen some really good influencers recently I've seen really good people of, yeah, look, I'm going to call them influencers and say, look, let's assume that all these people who say they're influencers are actually influencers. But I've seen a lot of really good promotions and campaigns recently where for like girls, for example, where girls are big on this, especially teenage girls and how they look and how they appear to the outside world. And on social media, you'll always find that people need to put on as much makeup as possible and have the nicest clothes and nicest accessories and all this stuff. But I've seen some really good influencers recently where they've kind of showed the fact that when you take a picture from one angle and take a picture from another angle, one makes you look incredibly skinny and fit and the other one makes you look normal. And they've tried to take the picture that makes you look normal because, you know, none of us have, or uh, very few of us have these abs and six packs and everything else. And I think that's great. And stuff like that is really good because that encourages people to be more confident of who they are yeah. but 
this idea that we're selling or promoting products that are 1,000 euros to 15-year-olds who don't have that money and whose parents can't afford to that, you're kind of going, you know, how does that make you feel about yourself and how does that make that person feel? And I'm kind of going, it's it's just using that influence for like the really small but important things. Like that body confidence thing is just so important. Like it yeah. really is. It's, it's massively important. But pushing the fact that you're in Ibiza on a 5,000 euro holiday just isn't the same, you know? So like, I really hope that more people push for their body confidence and not the Ibiza holidays. But it's, it's you know, if you're going to push for that and if there's young people listening or young people out there that want to be the influencer, try to understand that, you know, influencing isn't about trying to sell iPhones. It's about trying to push people to do certain things and you can push them to, you know, be the climate change activist, to be the person who's confident in themselves, you know. It's it's looking at what influence actually is, you know, the yeah. definition of it. Perfect. Okay. Um, and finally, Harry, you just have to ask, uh, if people are interested uh, to learn more about you, where can people find you? Uh, everywhere, anywhere. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all over the place. Um, just Harry McCann. You can find me there. Um, always happy to connect with people and have conversations. Um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Okay, and thank you so much for this, Harry. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, even from just talking from you, I'm confident you're going to go on and do great things. Thanks for your um, For anyone wanting to learn more about Harry Drenster, we'll include it all in the show notes. Show notes, and other than that, thank you very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm.